Well, amen and good morning again. It's kind of weird just having one service. After all these years of just doing one service, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to doing, doing two. And so maybe next Sunday we'll just do three. How's that? Well, I hope that everybody had a Merry Christmas. So glad that you are here worshiping with us. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of ready for 2020 to be over. Anybody um, agree with that? Raise your hand if you're ready for 2020 to be, to be over. Think about this year. I want to just share with you, just as a reminder, a few of the significant things that happened in 2020. Obviously, there was COVID. There was a global lockdown. Every home became a place of employment. Every home with a child became a schoolhouse. We saw historic job losses. The market crashed lawlessness and riots and protests in our streets. I believe the year began with murder hornets, um, and we're not sure what is going on with them, but you had mentioned um, Washington as a possible place to, to go work. I believe that's where all the murder hornets are. Another reason to have moved to, to, to East Texas. Um, you know, we, we um, had a contested and contentious election year, um, most named tropical storm year ever. Wildfires swept across the globe. Um, and to top everything off, I believe that I have heard that there is a new strain of the virus that is 70% more um, contagious than the, the previous one. So let's just get 2020 behind us and let's start focusing in on 2021, right? You know, at, at, at this um, you know, to, to, when we began 2020, um, at the end of 2019, we entered into a sermon series called Vision 2020. And we had some, some goals as a church. We wanted to see, or we prayed to the Lord that he would allow us to see 20 salvations, 20 baptisms, and, and 40 um, new additions to our faith family. We didn't meet that goal, um, and so instead of forgetting about that goal, I think in 2021, we need to just amp that goal up a little bit and pray that the Lord gives us 21 salvations, 21 baptisms, and 42 additions. I believe that the Lord can do that, don't you? It's going to take all of us working together for that to happen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 together this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Paul wrote these words to young Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying 
on my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. You know, Paul, when he penned these words, these are, these are the, the, the final words of Paul. Ray Pritchard shared five facts about 2 Timothy and about Paul, where he was at, at this particular stage of his life. He said that 2 Timothy was Paul's final book. It, many consider it to be his last will and testament. When Paul wrote it, he was in prison in chains in Rome. In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul specifically mentions his chains. This is not a metaphor or a symbol. It, it, it is a statement of his incarceration in Rome. Soon Paul would, um, tradition says that Paul gave his, 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 his neck to the sword. He would die a martyr's death in Rome under Nero. Things were not good in, in, in the state of the church at this time. The church was in a crisis situation for the first 25 years or so. After the birth of the Christian movement in Acts 2, the church experienced um, great persecution, but not to the extent that they would under Nero. In 64 AD, uh, most of you are aware of this, but, but all of Rome burnt down and Nero blamed it on the Christians and, and persecution was just ramped up exponentially after that moment. Um, the fourth thing that we see is Paul had been virtually abandoned in Rome. And given the situation, it's not surprising that when Paul was condemned to death, few people came to his aid. Most of his friends from earlier missions found reasons con to conveniently forget about him. And, and someone wrote, out of sight, out of mind. Only Luke would be Paul, by Paul's side um, toward the end of his life. Timothy represented the up-and-coming generation of emerging Christian leaders. Paul is an old man at this point, and Timothy is his trusted young colleague. And what we see, um, and we walked through um, Timothy in the past, but what we see with, with this book is Paul really investing his life into young Timothy. Timothy, his, 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 his protege. And our message point this evening or this morning is this. We need to recognize the importance of investing in the next generation. There needs to be a transference of the gospel from us to other believers. And we see that with Paul and Timothy. We see that throughout God's word. We see that throughout the New Testament, a transference and an investment of the gospel. To be a Christian leader um, back in Paul's day, it pretty much meant a martyr's death. During the early church um, days, there, there, there was great persecution that was going on. So Paul wrote to this letter to Timothy to challenge him to be a courageous Christian. It was essential for young Timothy to learn to be a living example for other people. Alvin Reed said, one striking character of the first Christians was their reflection of Christ. When the Jewish religious leaders realized that Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. The early church reflected Jesus Christ. That is what all of us are called to do, isn't it? To be a reflection of Christ, to imitate Christ, to share Christ with other people. In verse 
3, Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve. As Paul writes to Timothy, he is seeking to inspire and strengthen him for the task at hand. How many of you like to be encouraged? How many of you like it when someone comes up to you and says, well done? Gives you a pat on the back and says, add a boy or add a girl. I think all of us like that, don't we? I know that, um, that of my two kids, Caitlin is the one that, that, that likes that reinforcement a little bit more than Connor. In fact, Caitlin was that kid that any time that she was on the ball field, she would always be looking um, at, at Danny and I to, to get that positive reinforcement, to kind of look at us, to, to hear us yell at her and, and encourage her and tell her, well done, you're doing a great job. Now, the one thing she doesn't like is when she's at bat, whenever I'm back behind her telling her, Get that shoulder up. Get that bat back. She doesn't like that kind of positive reinforcement, but she likes to hear that a boy, that a girl. She likes to be encouraged, as so many of us do. And what Paul is doing this morning as he writes to young Timothy is he is encouraging him and telling him, basically, as you run the race of life, finish strong. Paul must have known that Timothy needed to be encouraged. Here, Timothy is witnessing the death of Christians all around him. Many of the apostles and early converts to the faith died a martyr's death. His father in the faith, his mentor, Paul, is on the threshold of being put to death himself. There must have been many nights that Timothy probably laid his own head down on his pillow, wondering if tomorrow might be the day that he died a martyr's death. So Paul is reminding Timothy of the heritage that was his to enjoy. In verse 5, he, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see what's happening, what we get there? We get the salvation of a grandmother, the salvation of a mother, and then the salvation of a child. That's how it should look. We should, as, 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 as parents and grandparents, we should set an example for our children and for our grandchildren and transfer the faith. Now, now, us transferring and sharing and encouraging does not mean that our children are going to become Christ followers. We can't dictate when and how or if they become a Christians, but we can certainly share our faith with them read the scripture to them and help to the best of our ability transfer it to them this morning i want us to see the effects of the gospel upon the life of the believer notice our first point this morning it is this as believers we need to be people of promise Okay, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice what the gospel does. It brings us into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Paul was on the brink of death, but notice what he was doing with young Timothy. He was focusing on the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. Is the promise of life in Christ. He says here again, um, 
by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. In John 10.10, we read that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did Jesus tell the disciples and us? He said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Or some of your translations say life to the full. You know, I've been around for, for almost 48 years. In fact, tomorrow is my birthday. I've had the opportunity to witness to people um, all over the world. I've been rejected by people everywhere that I've gone. The number one reason people reject Christ is because they think that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy. They think that, that God is out to ruin people's life. Have you ever ran into somebody like that? Um, I, I know that whenever I was a youth minister, one of the things that as I would talk and invest in the life of young people, one of the things that I would hear from them, from high school students and college students, is I will accept Christ when I'm older. Basically, what they were saying is I will accept Christ after I have a little bit of fun, after I kind of um, um, live a little bit of, of a worldly life, then I will accept Christ. Let me tell you something this morning, that God is not out and he is not a cosmic killjoy. God is a God of promise, and he promised us life and life to the full. Think about this. A life in Christ is, 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 is a life absent of self, isn't it? Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he wrote, he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He also wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live at Christ and to die is gain. You know what, Paul, we, you're familiar with this passage of Scripture that Paul often, um, we see in Scripture here where he's wrestling with, do, do I live or do I die? To live is for our gain. He would say the gain of the church. To die, though, is his gain because with his death would mean he would be ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ. I think if you and I lived our life like that, hey, to to, to die is, 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 is gain. When we die, we get Jesus. To live, though, is also gain because as long as we have breath in our lungs and the, and the gospel in our heart, we are to share the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with, right? And that was the battle that, jo that, that Paul dealt with in his life. And then we see um, a life in Christ is also a life of freedom. In verse 3 we read, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. How many of you have ever lived um, and you've experienced a guilty conscience? You ever been there and done that? I think all of us have been there and done that, right? We've all been at that point where we um, have been caught in a habitual sin or maybe just a one and, and, and done sin, and the Holy Spirit convicted us, and as a result of that, we had a guilty conscience. But do you remember what happened the moment you asked God to forgive you of that sin? You experienced the freedom that comes with repentance. And what Paul is saying um, here in verse 3, that, 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 that um, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul was a prayer warrior. 
Paul was a man that was committed to the transference of the gospel from one generation to the next. He was obedient to the the Great Commission, and we see that within his writing. D.L. Moody once said, Character is what you are in the dark. Character is who we are when no one is around. Character is who we are when it's just us in the television, us in the internet, us out um, with our buddies at night. It is at these times that our true character is being revealed. The life of a believer must be set apart. It must be different. It must imitate our master. Let's be people of promise. Notice next, let's be people of passion. The word passion means a strong and barely controllable emotion. Think to yourself for a moment. What are some things that you are passionate about? What are some things that you are passionate about in your life? Probably your family, children, grandchildren, your relationship with the Lord, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I know I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about my church family. I'm passionate about the opportunities that God is going to give us within this community. In verses four and five, Paul wrote, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Paul was passionate about young Timothy. Paul was passionate about seeing him become the man that God created him to be. I've shared this with you before, but whenever I was a youth minister, there was a, there was a discipleship material called Paul and Timothy. Okay, And the Paul was, was the leader curriculum, Timothy was the the student curriculum. And that curriculum was all about one person investing in another person. And that's what we get with Paul. Paul not only invested his life in Timothy, but we see throughout the the epistles, throughout Acts, we see Paul investing his life in person after person after person. That's who we need to be as believers. We need to invest the gospel into the life of other people. If you are a mature believer in this room this morning, then you need a Timothy in your life, someone that you can invest the gospel in. Passionate people share their passion with others. In verse 6, we read, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I love that verse, to fan into flame. Kind of reminds you of, of an Avenger movie, doesn't it? That's what we are to do as believers in Jesus Christ, to fan into flame. We are to be human torches. Understand the flame of Christ is a never-ending flame. In Fantastic Four, um, the the fiery guy, the torchy guy, um, he could turn that thing on and turn that thing off. But as believers in Jesus Christ who have the Holy Spirit in us, it's an everlasting flame. It is not able, it's not going to be distinguished. But one thing that we've got to remember about the flame of Christ in us, we've got to tap into it. We've got to continue to feed that flame. And when we feed that flame, guess what happens? That flame gets bigger and bigger and bigger and gets out of us onto other people. How many of you like um, a good campfire? You know, I think most of us love a good campfire. What's the most fun part of of a campfire other than the flame? 
throwing more wood on the fire, getting the flame bigger and bigger and bigger. What happens, though, if we decide that we're not going to put another log on that fire? Eventually, that flame is just going to die out, isn't it? As believers in Jesus Christ, that flame within us is not going to die out, but that flame within us can certainly um, become less and less, and we become less effective when we don't tap into it. As Christians, we always have the Holy Spirit in us. However, we need to remember to fan into flame. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as we are instructed to do in 2 Peter 3.18. And we also need to be believers that go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation. And when we go, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit works in us and through us. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Philemon 6. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. When we share our faith, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit works in us and through us, and we tap into the power source that is Jesus. As a church, our core values are the Word of God, fellowship, prayer, generosity, worship and outreach. And that comes from Acts chapter 2, where we read, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved I've said it before but I long for that day when out of this fellowship the Lord is adding to our numbers day after day because you and I are investing the gospel into other people we see here um and, and we know that Jesus was passionate. Jesus was passionate about each and every one of us. He went to the cross and he died on that cross for our sins. He came and dwelt among us as we walked through our Christmas story sermon series that we were reminded of that week in and week out. He was so passionate about us that he died for us. He loves each and every one of us in this room. Paul was also passionate about evangelism. He was passionate about the Great Commission. What did his passion get him? Ultimately, it got him stoned, imprisoned, beat, and eventually death. Did his passion cease? Absolutely not. He continued to fight the good fight. Martin Luther said as he was standing before the Diet of Worms, he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against the conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. It was at the Diet of Worms that Luther was demanded to recant 41 of his 95 theses that he had nailed upon the door at Wittenberg. Luther was passionate about delivering the people from the heresies that were the Catholic Church at the time. He was so passionate that he was willing to be imprisoned and even put to death that that's what it meant for him to stand true for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peaceful people will follow a passionate person. People followed Paul. 
Obviously, people follow Jesus. And if you and I are passionate as well, people will follow us. Wesley Duell wrote in his book, A Blaze for God, he said, A passionless Christianity will not put out the fires of hell. The best way to fight a raging forest fire is with fire. It is not enough to be evangelical in faith and heart. We must be totally possessed by Christ, utterly impassioned by his love and grace, and utterly ablaze with his power and glory. We do not need wildfire. Wildfire does not glorify our holy Christ. It is a holy fire, the fire with which the Holy Spirit baptizes us. We need the fire and zeal of the earthly church when almost every Christian was ready to be a martyr for Christ. We need that kind of passion that that first church had. Let's be passion people. Our final point this morning is we need, as believers, we need to be people of power. In verse 7, we read, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Why is it as believers we are so fearful to share our faith with other people? You know, some of you in this room, man, you're, you're, not, you're not fearful. Okay, I know, I know you well enough that, that you would share your faith with a fence post. And that fence post might get saved because that's the, the passion that is in you. Okay? Others of us in this room, we, we, we experience some timidity. We experience some fearfulness when it comes to sharing our faith with a family member or with a coworker or a, a fellow student at school or even a complete stranger. Timothy must have experienced some of that um, fearfulness himself. Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he is telling him not to be fearful, just like he's telling us this morning not to be fearful. Fear is not from the Lord, is it? Fear is from the devil. You know, the, the Lord has given us his spirit. The Lord has given us a passion. The Lord has given us the assurance that we need to, to, to share the good news of salvation. But what's the devil doing? The devil is trying to do everything he can to prevent us from sharing our faith with other people. Satan does not want us to share our faith. He wants us to sit in our comfortable pews, live our comfortable lives, lock ourselves away in our offices and in our homes. Satan wants us to conform to this world. He does not want us to be people of power. He does not want us to be people whose lives are set ablaze. For you and I, What's the consequences of us sharing our faith with somebody? Somebody's going to laugh at us, maybe. Someone might slam a door in our face. Someone might tell us to go away. The reality is, nowadays in the world that we live in, if you share your faith with the wrong person, you may um, lose your job. That may be a consequence of sharing your faith. But think about Paul. Think about Timothy. Think about the early church. Think about um, the, the, the church throughout history. Think about the church in Nigeria, the church in North Korea, the church in China, the church in the Middle East. If a believer shares their faith with the wrong person, they very well may lose their life. But is that stopping them from sharing their faith? Absolutely not. The gospel is still exploding in that part of the world, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of people losing their lives on a daily basis. For Timothy, 
sharing his faith potentially meant his life. He knew that if he uttered the name of Jesus to the wrong person, he could be put to death. So Paul reminds him not to be fearful, but to be a person that embodies the power of Jesus Christ in and through his life. He's telling this young pastor that people are looking to him to set an example. People are looking to us to set an example as well. Let's be people of promise. Let's be people of passion. And let's be people of power. And as Paul instructed Timothy to fan into flame, let's be people that fan into flame. Let's take the Holy Spirit, tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, and allow the Holy Spirit to use us and work through us and in us on a daily basis. You may be here this morning. You may be joining us online this morning. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And then you come if the Lord is leading you. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, again, thanking you for this morning. Thanking you for the opportunity to gather around your word together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord Jesus, I know, Father, that in, um, in this place this morning that there are, are many that are like me. That, that get a little fearful when it comes to, to sharing our faith. We, we get timid. And Lord, help us, Father, to tap into the power source. Help us to lean on you. Help us, Father God, to recognize the consequences of us not sharing the gospel with someone could be that they spend eternity separated from you in a real place called hell. Oh, Father, give us a passion for you a passion for the good news, a passion for the lost inside the doors of this church and outside the doors of this church as well. Father, there's someone here this morning or somebody that is with us um, online this morning that does not have a relationship with you. May today be the day of their salvation. Maybe today be the day that they repent of their sins and cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Your word is very, very clear. If they do that, they will be saved. Not only will they be saved, Father, but we have the promise in Scripture that all the angels in heaven are going to rejoice over that once lost sheep coming home to you. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. You come.